no you don't. You're one to a West. On what charge? You got nothing on me. Oh, no? Well, listen to this. Resisting an officer, assault and battery, trespassing, disturbing the peace, miscellaneous misdemeanors, public nuisance, traffic violations, going through a boulevard stop, jaywalking, triple parking, conduct unbecoming to a wabbit. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today is the princess with a thousand enemies, my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. Can I be the queen? No, I'm sorry. You have to be the princess. (laughs) On today's episode, Nakia and I are sitting down for her first viewing of Watership Down, Martin Rosen's 1978 animated adaptation of Richard Adams' classic novel. But first, since this is the first animated movie we've watched for The Unenthusiastic Critic, I thought we'd take a few minutes to talk about your experience with animation. And whenever we do one of these overview genre conversations, Mm -hmm. the entire planning of which consists of my saying, hey, maybe we should talk about animation this week, (laughs) I think you and I do the same thing. We go on the internet, we look at a lot of listicles, Mm -hmm. and we refresh our memories about what animated movies exist and what we've seen and what our favorites are, right? Mm -hmm. So I was doing that this week, and I realized something troubling, which is that I am kind of ill-equipped to talk about animated movies. I have huge gaps in my animated film viewing. Mm -hmm. Stemming back to childhood. Because my childhood fell right between the so-called golden ages of movie animation. I I didn't grow up in a golden age. (laughs) The home video market didn't really start until the early 80s. Right. So I grew up... I mean, by the early 80s, I was already in my tweens or teens. So I missed out on all of those, the so-called Disney classics. Mm -hmm. They were not available. I think at that point, Disney was still doing that thing where they have things locked in the Disney vault. vault, Right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't see, I don't think I saw any of those until I was, you know, at least in my teens, Mm -hmm. if not even later. Mm -hmm. Like Snow White, Cinderella, all of those. I did not see as a child. Okay. And in fact, a bunch of those I still have never seen. I've never seen Sleeping Beauty. Oh, wow. I have never seen... I don't think I've ever watched all of Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. I have never seen Bambi. What? Which I think you and I... I thought you've never seen no, Bambi. No, I have absolutely seen, seen Bambi. Bambi. I have never seen Bambi. Oh. And it just... Again, they weren't available when I was a child. I feel like and we I need never, to, As know, an adult, I just never went back and said, okay, I got to check that off the list. Rethink this whole podcast now. <laughs> and I was thinking about this because it's... There was... When I was a kid, there was a show that was on every Sunday called Wonderful World of Disney. Mm-hmm. And they played a movie every Sunday... And my memory was, and I went back and checked and confirmed that this was true, they did not play the animated movies. What was it? They played other live-action Disney movies. Uh. So, you know, Flubber and shit like that, they played (laughs) on The Wonderful World of Disney. They didn't play the cartoons. Mm -hmm. So, and as far as movies in theaters at the time, it was not a golden age. 
I mean, the 70s, Disney put out The Rescuers, The Aristocats, <laughs> Robin Hood, which is a cute movie. I like Robin Hood, but it's not a classic. No, yeah. Um, in the early 80s, it was stuff like The Fox and the Hound. Again, it's a cute movie, but not one of the all-time classics. The Black Cauldron, stuff like that. I mean, it wasn't until the, the next Disney golden age of animation didn't start until I was well into college mm -hmm. with uh, The Little Mermaid in mm -hmm. 1989. So, yeah, I missed out on all of that. What about you? Um, I mean, I... So there were no Disney movies in my household. <laughs> I... <laughs> Your, your horror movie-loving mother had <laughs> Hellraiser and stuff. It but wasn't she didn't only have... horror movies. It was also, like, the, you know, cheesy thrillers. Like, you know, what's that one with the bald one that's not Alec? Uh, <laughs> oh, you've mentioned uh, Sliver. Yes. You've so mentioned like, that before. That yes. was her lane, right? So, and, and again, she never bought those either. Those were all taped off of cable. Okay. So we had racks and racks of VHS tapes, both blank and ones that had been taped over 15,000 mm -hmm. times with different things. Um, but no, there were no Disney films in my household. What I did have was a cousin whose parents brought her basically everything she ever wanted. Like, she had the Barbie, she had the Barbie Dream House, she had all the Disney movies. Yeah. Um. So I would spend weekends over, spend the night on weekends over there, and that's the only reason I watched those movies, because otherwise I would not have seen them, because okay. that just wasn't happening in my house. So that's when I was exposed to sort of all of those sort of quote-unquote classic Disney films. You know, the ones that came in the big chunky VHS tape. Oh, yeah, those big puffy cases. Yeah, they that were like were, plastic yeah. and laminated sort of thing. It was super special. Um, <laughs> I actually really miss those. They were about like a square foot Yeah, they size. were like the size of encyclopedias, but yeah. I love them actually. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I saw, you know, I saw Pinocchio, I saw Dumbo, Bambi, Cinderella, Sleeping mm. Beauty, Beauty and the Beast. So all that sort of classic Disney canon, um, very well versed in. So that was probably my first experience with animation, and I loved it. And it felt like it was almost as special as going to the movies because it wasn't at my house, and I had to go somewhere to see it. Right, and like I a private screening. Right, room. and I think she had like a new one every week um, that her family would have bought her. So it was like, <laughs> yeah. So it was like these special moments, and it, we would watch them because the the VCR was in her parents' room, and they had this big, you know, like California king size bed. So we would sit on the bed. And watch the Disney films, and mm -hmm. it was a really like little special time. So they were a big part of my childhood. Did you have favorites from that time? Yeah, I mean, I was. I think I, in particular, was sort of drawn to the tragedy of some of those Disney cartoons. Mm, okay, like Bambi's a, a sort of. Tra I guess starts Bam out with Bambi's, the death of his yep, mother. Got some dark notes. Um, Dumbo's also pretty dark. Mm -hmm. You know, The Lion King, which came out a little bit later. I mean, all of us in that generation were just destroyed <laughs> by the death of died. Mufasa. Mufasa. I'm sorry. How dare you? <laughs> like, like that was one that that one is bone deep and to this day <laughs> I am hurt about Mufasa. So yeah, it was it was sort of all those those sort of classics. And they were I mean, you know, they all came with their problems. Dumbo had those really racist ass crows. Yeah. Uh and <laughs> It's not good. And then the stories like Beauty and the Beast and Snow White, you know, were feeding us those the terrible, us, us girls, those terrible ideas of the, the power of love's first kiss, which mm. we quickly come to find out is a lie. <laughs> it's better. You know what's better? Sleep. Just keep sleeping. It's so Sleeping beauty. Just keep <laughs> just, on sleeping. There's nothing here for you. There's no love's first kiss. And these really sort of black and white ideas about good 
and evil. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I got a little bit older, I realized that I actually liked the villains more than anything. Like, I love Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. I love Maleficent from uh, Sleeping Beauty. Cruella DeVille from the 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> like, bitch wanted a coat. I understand. I love a good coat. And they all had great cheekbones. It was just... They did have good... All the, all all the ones have really good cheekbones. Yeah, All that hatred up in the cheeks. And it's beautiful. <laughs> it's lovely. I love it. So... Well, actually, Ursula. I'm not sure she has the cheekbones. But Ursula she... was a bad bitch. Yeah. She was a hot mm-hmm. bitch. So, mm-hmm. no. And she had the hair. The little haircut. I was just like, yes, girl. So, you know, that complicated my ideas of morality. But <laughs> otherwise, I came out okay. So you were not, I'm guessing, really a Cinderella girl. Um. Though she did get nice, nicer clothes. She out did of get the nicer deal. clothes out of the deal. Um, she couldn't keep them though. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, Cinderella was alright. I mean, she had the mice and the birds helping her like get dressed and things, <laughs> so that was cute. And they had Cinderella, Cinderella, and they had a little song. Um, but yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, it's actually interesting that I had to leave my home to be exposed to these ideas of like. The power of love and love as a savior. Mm-hmm. Love and these that sort, can of sort of princess right, motifs. rescue you. Like, that was just not. And it, I don't even know that it was a political statement on the part of my mom. It was just, she just was like, I don't watch it, so I'm not buying it. Right. Um, like, the only movies we have are movies that she liked. So I don't think that that's what it was. But had I not had that cousin, I would not have sort of seen those things and been exposed to those things. And I don't even know that I subscribed to those ideals, even after seeing them, because again, I had my mother at home mm-hmm. so you weren't drawn to the fairy tale i wasn't drawn to the fairy tale element of it it really was sort of i liked the visuals of it i liked the artistry and again i i'm a fan of villains like as as deeply as mufasa's death hurt me i sort of <laughs> understood scar like i get why he'd be a little salty about his life again amazing cheekbones and <laughs> He has the best song in that he movie, He has the best too. song, and he's it's just, the best like, musical number in that movie is Be Prepared. You're hanging out with these raggedy-ass uh, hyenas. So, <laughs> you know, I get it. Aren't we getting a live-action Lion King? We are, with, yes. With uh, Donald Glover. And I needed to hurry up because... I don't I, know who's playing Scar. I don't know that we know that. I know that James Earl Jones is slated to reprise his role, so I need them to sort of hurry up with that because we can't. <laughs> That's dark. Well, this is the reality of life, right? Uh, we're talking about Disney films. People die. So I need them to to get on that. But, yeah, it's um, I think Beyonce is playing Nala. Mm-hmm. Oh, Chiwetel is playing Scar. Uh, of course. <laughs> it had to be Chiwetel or Idris now that I think about it. And Idris already did his villain in uh, the Jungle Khan. Book. Yes. So, yeah, I'm all, I'm all on board with this. <laughs> but, yeah, I think I like the sad ones. I mean, even um, later on, like Toy Story. Yeah. You know, like the sort of melancholy ones. Iron Giant. I like those. As I love the Iron Giant. That might be my favorite. Bit. It really is just a, it's so sad. <laughs> but I love it so much. <laughs> Another sort of one that, you know, I, came out in my adult years was World of Tomorrow. Oh my god, I love that. The short. It is so That's um Don Hertzfeld. Fucking brilliant. Yes. I can't even say it. It was on Netflix for a while. I don't know if it's still on Netflix. And it was one of those things that I would pull up every now and again and just <laughs> <laughs> watch. But again, it's one of those where it's just like taking this this medium that is meant sort of for children and is meant to be sort of cute and benign and then overlaying it with this really just dystopic dark vision <laughs> of life and the future and it was just it's but very funny very funny and just perfectly done so if it's still on netflix i recommend people check yeah. it out 
Um, yeah, so I love animation. Okay. So I think we've probably, along the way, talked a little bit about the Pixar movies, mm-hmm. which is the new golden age of animation. Mm-hmm. And what are, what are your favorites among the Pixars? I mean, I mentioned Toy Story. Mm-hmm. Toy Story is just brilliant. Wally, love Wally. That first thirty minutes or so yeah. of Wally is just fantastic. It is, it is, and again, like with um, with Up, it's like that first you know four or five minutes. Yeah. I think I said before where you see the sequence of the old man and his wife, and then she dies, and then after that, I could really take or leave that movie. But that first sort of sequence is really just powerful, and again, sort of just sad and heartbreaking. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know why I like sad cartoons. I mean, The Incredibles is a great franchise. Yeah. Was Moana? Pixar? Moana is, this is the new wave of, it's Disney, but it's not Pixar. Okay. Pixar is now part of Disney, but I think sort of the in-house competition between Disney and Pixar. the Disney and the Pixar wings has generated some good stuff. And so where is Coco? It started with Tangled, mm-hmm. and then Frozen. I hate it, Frozen. Wreck-It Ralph. Moana, those are all Disney movies. And Coco is Pixar or Disney? Coco is Pixar. Okay, I loved Coco. That was really beautiful. Talking about a real tearjerker. I mean, Jesus. (laughs) And it dealt with death in a way that was very straightforward. Like, for a long time, death in Disney films happened sort of off screen. Like, you don't see Bambi's mother die, you you know, and whereas Coco is like, death is a part of life and it's also something to sort of be celebrated and integrated into our lives. But yeah, I thought Coco was beautiful. And then, you know, a few years ago when Princess and the Frog came out, Mm -hmm. I really loved that because that was sort of hearkening back to the sort of older style of Disney films. Yeah, it was a hand-drawn animation. Yeah, like as much as I love, you know, the the sort of brilliance of the technology in Pixar, I mean, the way that they can sort of do the hair and you can sort of get different textures and things like that. I still really like that hand-drawn, you know, cartoon cell style. There there is a power to that, Mm -hmm. to affect you that I think nothing else has. I just love it. Scott McCloud, in his book, Understanding Comics, talks about this. He says... When you look at a photo or realistic drawing of a face, you see it as the face of another. But when you enter the world of a cartoon, you see yourself. I believe this is the primary cause of our childhood fascination with cartoons. The cartoon is a vacuum into which our identity and awareness are pulled, an empty shell that we inhabit which enables us to travel in another realm. We don't observe the cartoon, we become it. And I think that's true. You know, people talk about the uncanny valley. Mm-hmm. The more realistic they get, the more you are alienated from that instead of projecting yourself right. onto the characters. Yeah. But that's why those cartoons have the power to wreck us, I think. It's just... Because we become you know, deeply invested in them. Mm-hmm. I think, it's for me, it's also part of it is... Like, I used to like to draw a lot when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would do try to mimic what I saw in different cartoons and things like that. So I think part of it is also my appreciation for, I think I just like that human element of it, of like somebody sitting down and drawing something and, and mm-hmm. on paper and like creating. And not to say that the animators of Pixar and, and you know, in this new technology aren't brilliant artists and doing amazing things. Right. It's, it's not that those movies right. aren't made with love. Right. Because they are quite, I mean, like something like Ratatouille is, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. Yeah. Just the way the food is rendered mm-hmm. and it's just, it's stunning. But there's something for me, and maybe it is because that's sort of what I grew up on, but that sort of hand-drawn mm-hmm. quality is something that sort of resonates with me in a way that the other stuff doesn't. You know, I can remember a scene from Pocahontas, which, you know, had its own 
political problems. Um, but, uh, but there's this where she's like standing on a mountain cliff and her, you know, brown hair is sort of blowing in the wind and their leaves. And it's just yes. a beautiful. And I'm, I imagine that that rendered in sort of computer animation would be amazing. But it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be the same. Right. So, yeah. You haven't seen, I think, and we'll. I think I've got a couple on the list for this series. You haven't seen any of the Studio Ghibli movies. The Miyazaki stuff? Right. No, and it's such a, a, a black hole. I, it's, it's a gap for me, too. Yeah. I haven't seen very many of them, but those are gorgeous. Yeah. And I think based on just what you just said, you will actually really enjoy yeah. those. Yeah, yeah. That's one. Those are ones that I've sort of been both, like, oh, I need to do Both the that. handmade care of them mm-hmm. and the real sadness to them. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a real sadness underlying a lot of those movies yeah. that I think is very powerful. What about uh, cartoons for adults? What about animation as a medium for adult stories? Do you I'm like any fan. of those? I mean, I love The Simpsons. I was watching The Simpsons from, you know, when I was young till now. And I still, I mean, I don't. There are plenty of people that will say the later seasons do not stand up. So yes, I don't I'm need to go into that fan. argument. But um, yeah, so like I was a big, big fan of The Simpsons for a long time. Love Bob's Burgers. It's like one of my favorite mm-hmm. cartoons. Home Movies. It's a great cartoon. It's not on the air anymore, but it's streaming in places. Mm-hmm. Archer is a great one. BoJack Horseman. That now. <laughs> fucking BoJack Horseman. You want to talk about You want to talk about sad. fucking... <laughs> pathos and despair that show is too dark for me i made a couple of seasons and it's like i'm out that one but it's this so, is just open your wrist it really level is sadness. but it is so well done but it's also funny and smart so yeah i love bojack horseman but that is sort of one of like quintessential just you know dealing with all the tragedy of life and yet still funny that that's that's a winner for me what about movies animated movies for adults I'm thinking of stuff like Persepolis. Oh, I actually liked Persepolis. I like that one a lot. Yeah. I'd actually read that um, graphic novel before mm-hmm. I saw the film, and I thought it was beautifully done. There was one last year I don't think you watched um, called The Breadwinner about a little girl growing up in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. No, I didn't see that one. That was that was actually really good. Um, there was a film last year called My Life is a Zucchini, mm-hmm. which I think was one of my favorite movies of the year. Was that one of the shorts or was that a full No, length? it was a full length. Okay. But that was puppet animation. Okay. And just these incredibly expressive puppets of children. <laughs> um, and again, a really sad... St- now that I know what you like, I know what right. you should watch. Just a sad animated story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> children losing their parents. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I think I think based on what you said, you're actually going to like this movie today that we're going to watch. There's a lot of death and sadness. Well, you getting? know, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but... <laughs> All the world will be your enemy. Prince with a thousand enemies. And whenever they catch you, they will kill you. But first, they must catch you. Digger. Listener. Runner, prince with the swift warning. Be cunning, and your people will never be destroyed. Okay, so what, if anything, do you know about Watership Down? You told me there were bunnies. Yes. That's all I know. Okay, so you've never heard of this movie? <laughs> I've never heard of it. You've never seen it or anything anything mm, about it? Nope. Okay, I think that's good. Okay. Um, okay, I, so a couple of things to say up front about it. 
First, I have been wanting to do this movie for a long time. And I've been holding off on it because there's supposed to be a new miniseries remake coming out. I think it's a collaboration between the BBC and Netflix, but mm-hmm. it's going to be on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would be a good excuse to watch the original Watership Down. So I've been waiting to do it. And it was originally supposed to come out, I think, last year. And then it got pushed back to 2018. Now we're getting towards the end of 2018. Yeah. There's been no news about it. There's hmm. been no announced release date. Not a single frame of it has turned up anywhere. So I don't know what's happening with that. Mm. There are still rumors that it might drop around Christmas time. But again, we haven't even seen a trailer or anything. Right. So I don't know if it's actually coming. Whatever. I'm tired of waiting for it. I want to watch Watership Down again. Okay. And then the next thing to say about it, I think, is that I have debated how much to tell you going into it about the film and about sort of my generation's reaction to it and what it means to us. And I think probably the best is not to do that. So we'll what do year that did this come out? 1978. Okay. So we will do that after. Okay. <laughs> so I'll just, a little background we can talk about first of all. Let's get the title out of the way first because it sounds like it's a movie about submarines. Mm-hmm. Watership Down is a hill. It's a real place. It's a large treeless hill in uh, the county of Hampshire in the southern coast of England. Okay. British author Richard Adams grew up about five miles from there. And as an adult, to entertain his daughters on a long car journey, he started telling them this story about this colony of rabbits seeking a new home. And he said after the car trip was over, they wanted more. So he would tell it to them in the car as he drove them to school every morning, just improvising these stories mm-hmm. about these bunnies. And eventually they pestered him to start writing the stories down. And that became his first novel, Watership Down. The novel was rejected seven times by publishers who found it too childish for adults and too adult for children. <laughs> It was finally published in 1972 by Rex Collins, a one-man London publishing house, who paid Adams very little money up front, but managed to run off an initial run of 2,500 copies of the book. The book went on to win the Carnegie Medal, which is the British equivalent of the Newbery Award, Mm -hmm. and went on to sell 50 million copies worldwide. Wow. This was on on the New York Times bestseller list for weeks and weeks and weeks. In fact, in the U.S., when it when it was released in the U.S., it was the second best-selling book of 1974, beating books like John Le Carre's Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and Peter Benchley's Jaws. Hmm. And then we jump forward a few years, and this guy named Martin Rosen, who was not a director, not an animator, he was a literary and theatrical agent, and he just he read the book and he became obsessed with it, and he he wanted to make something from it. He didn't know what. Mm-hmm. In fact, he says he originally talked to the Royal Opera Company about doing an adaptation. He talked to the Royal Ballet Company about doing an adaptation. And finally decided that animation was the only way to go to tell this story. But again, he was not an animator. The agency he worked for represented directors and film people, so he was able to pull some people in to work on this. Mm -hmm. um, Including John Hubley, who was a veteran animator who had worked on a lot of the old Disney movies. And he just started, they basically built an animation studio from scratch. They got financing from this banker who was willing to pony up some money and pull some money together for them. But, you know, you talked about liking handmade stuff. This was very much a labor of love. Learning as they went. And it's it's a little rough, quite frankly, looking at it. You can see that there are some very different styles happening. There's some animation that's not quite perfect, not quite up to Disney-level standards. 
but it was an obsession and it was, you know, something everybody involved was really very dedicated to. The film was not a huge hit, I don't think. In fact, I think it probably lost money in the end, but it became this big cultural milestone Mm -hmm. for that generation, particularly in Great Britain. But I think also here, where it screened on television, which is how I first discovered it, coming across it not knowing anything about it, which I guess is how you're going to watch it. I guess so. I keep meaning every week to tell people where they can watch these things, so let's do that now. If you are watching along, pause the podcast now, and Watership Down is available for streaming rental on Amazon, iTunes, and most of the other streaming services. And it's also currently available on Filmstruck, which is how we're going to watch it. Okay. Okay. Let's go watch it. All right. It's a beautiful day. All is calm and peaceful in the meadow. Or is it? If you look closely, very closely, you'll discover a whole new world with a world of difference, full of exciting adventure and desperate conflict. We've got to go away from the Warren. All of us. Go away? Yes, before it's too late. Is there something wrong? What's he on about? They're coming. A world of ruthless tyranny and brave rebellion. I'll settle with you myself, big week. Come on and try, you crack-brained slave driver. A world of incredible courage and mortal fear. A terrible thing is coming. What do you mean? The field. It's covered with blood. A world which bears a very curious resemblance to our own so-called human world in many ways. You're all under arrest. Under arrest? What do you mean? What for? Spreading dissension, inciting to mutiny. Watership Down, the best-selling novel, which has been magically transformed into the most unusual and provocative film you're ever likely to see. Okay, during the break, Nikki and I watched Watership Down. And actually, we recorded the first half of this podcast yesterday, which was Saturday. And Nakia, I discovered completely by accident today, this is purely a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Yesterday was, I kid you not, International Rabbit Day. <laughs> is that a thing? Apparently that is a thing. <laughs> I had no idea it was a thing. I never planned to watch Watership Down on International Rabbit Day. But that's what happened. Sometimes fate or frith puts us exactly (laughs) where we need to be. Uh, Another coincidence. I also said yesterday that there had been no update on the Watership Down remake. Mm -hmm. Somehow in the past 24 hours since I said that, that now has a release date. It will drop on the BBC and Netflix on Christmas Day. You spoke it into being. Apparently, I must use this power only for good. And I think this gives us a good segue into the first thing we're probably going to talk about in relation to this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Earlier this year, Rory Aitken, the executive producer of the new adaptation, assured the viewing public of Great Britain that their children would not be traumatized by Watership Down. That's a fail, isn't it? The thing about Watership Down is that it's an epic adventure story, he said. I think that in a way we want to restore the reputation that the book should have as one of the great adventure stories of all time. It's grown this reputation for being scarring and horrific and brutal. And actually that's not what the essence of the story is. While we won't shy away from the darkness in the book, visually it won't be as brutal and scarring. 
I'm I'm not on, I'm not on board. Which with I that. think for Christmas Day is a good thing. Meh. Because in fact, I mean, this movie came out 40 years ago next month. We're coming up in a couple of weeks on the 40th anniversary of this movie's release. And yet, it still is probably one of the most brutal cartoons I have ever seen. <laughs> in 2016, Channel 5 in Great Britain showed Watership Down on Easter Sunday. Well done. And parents were outraged. Parents were, like, tweeting the station, demanding that people be fired for traumatizing their children by showing this movie on Easter Sunday. As their babies were biting the heads <laughs> off of rabbits, maybe exactly. calm down. So the next year, in 2017, they showed it again, and this time they put a warning at the front, and they still got complaints from angry parents well, who, that's can't, on you. who apparently can't read that's on you. warnings yeah. or know anything about a 40-year-old movie. A few weeks ago, I saw on Twitter, there were actually a couple of different threads in the last few weeks. People asking what movie you saw as a child frightened you or mm -hmm. traumatized you or that kind of thing. And it was amazing how many people said Watership Down. <laughs> Let me read a little sampling of tweets here. Some of the answers were just the answer to the question. Watership Down, dear God. <laughs> Watership Down, marketed as a kid's film. It wasn't. I watched it when I was five and have never truly recovered. Watership Down is the only film I have ever had nightmares about that I recall, apart from Aliens. My parents took me to see the animated film adaptation of Watership Down when I was four. I can still hear screaming rabbits in my mind's ear, <laughs> see the violence, blood, and death. I've never watched it since, and it's been 40 years. <laughs> I defy anyone to say they weren't utterly scared witless as a kid by the slaughter, the hallucinatory visuals, by general fecking woundwort. 100% pure trauma in animated form. And there are, I could do this for an hour, there are dozens and dozens of these tweets of people remembering Watership Down that way. <laughs> I, I think I think one way to get to the root of the problem here, and this is something that's going to work really well in a podcast, is I'm going to show you some pictures. Okay. And I will link to these pictures in the show notes. Okay. The first picture is the official poster for Watership Down, which I think is a great poster. But that's some dark shit. No, that's the point. It it tells people that it's a dark film, not necessarily for kids. It's a picture of a rabbit in silhouette, struggling, caught in a snare. It's very dark. It's very striking. It's very it forbidding. very striking. I mean, it's basically roots, but rabbits. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Struggling against the chains of oppression. And then here is the cover of a DVD version. And the VHS version was kind of like this. See, this is a lie. Yeah. <laughs> Describe that one. Okay, so this one is the, you know, very Disney-fied little cute bunnies. Cute little cartoonish bunny rabbits sitting you looking know, happy in a field. Beautiful bright colors. Like, what would you expect that movie to be? I would be expecting this movie to be about, a, you know, a band of bunny friends and their bird friend. And they're just hanging out, having adventures. And everything is lovely. But you see, you see Fiverr, though? Uh-huh. Fiverr's face is always like, Fiverr. Is always yeah, like, Fiverr still oh, looks a little worried. The shit is about yeah. to go down. So this is a little bit of a hint of like, mm. but yeah, you no, got to be really attuned. to You it, do though, have to, to be attuned to it. That. Like I wouldn't know that having not seen it. I'd right. be like, he looks a little unsure, but I wouldn't get too deep into it. But yeah, no, this is a lie. So I would be pissed. So if how I many parents like rented the VHS copy, mm -hmm. rented the DVD, took yeah. it home, yeah. sat their three-year-olds and five-year-olds down in front of it? Thought they were getting like a Peter Rabbit the room. sort right, of exactly. experience. Yeah, no, yeah. no, yeah, that's fair. 
<laughs> okay, so what did what did you make of this movie about adorable little bunny rabbits? Adorable and little their bunny friends? rabbits. Yes, yeah, it's pretty fucked up. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's appropriate for children. Uh, actually, I'm actually not particularly, and I don't I don't have children, so I don't know if this would change. I don't know if we have kids, they will well, not only be like, allowed to watch right. this; they will be forced to. I don't watch know that this I would be. Pr- I'm, I'm particularly age. conservative in that way, and again, I was raised watching things I should not have yeah. been watching. So, you know, what's that, like, line? Nature, tooth, and claw, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, so, Nature, right. tooth, and claw. <laughs> so, so this is sort of the, re- the you know, a fictionalized reality. Like, animals eat each other and fight each other, and shit gets real. But, yeah, it was pretty, it was definitely gorier <laughs> than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Yeah, no, it's a great movie. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. I really love this movie. Yeah. It's very much that anthropomorphized hero's journey that's sort of typical in a lot of Mm -hmm. animated films. But then there's this sort of other layer to it of, you know, that hero's journey. You're, you know, encountering some dark shit and you have enemies Mm -hmm. and those enemies are looking to kill you. And this is what that will look like. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I thought it was great. It is just even just as a nature movie. Mm -hmm. It's it's fantastic for making you realize just the danger. Mm-hmm. Like you never feel safe for these characters. No. Anytime they're crossing a field or that early scene, and this is critic Matt Zoller Sites recently posted a list of the five scenes from his childhood that scared him the most, ranked by the number of nightmares they <laughs> induced. And number four on that list was the scene, and it's a very quick scene, and it's bloodless. But it's the scene where the hawk swoops Swipes down in and, and just gets grabs. Hazel. And it's really, it's really early in the film. It's kind yeah. of one of the first warnings that, yeah, yeah. this is not going to work out happy it for all of these characters. It is terrifying. And like Fiverr's just watching her. Yeah. And he obviously because they're in the sense, woods, and yeah. this one rabbit just kind of hops out into Hazel. the field. Into the it's not Hazel. It's is that uh, Hazel? Violet. Violet. Says yes. her name is or his name. Yes. I don't know Violet. If it's a boy yes. Or a girl rabbit. So Fiverr's just sitting there, sort of watching her, and obviously knows that she's about to die because he's a seer. <laughs> And then we just get this swoop in of the hawk and just snatches her up. And you just see, like, little fur (laughs) fall to the ground and she's gone. And it's like, oh, shit. That was... But yeah, there are dangers around every single tree. It's not safe for the bunny movie. rabbit. No. It is not safe for the bunny rabbit. It's a stressful, stressful life. This is not, you know, Thumper and Bambi, who is, you know, very cute and <laughs> safe. Some comedian or something talked about that, talking about how people act like animals or, you know, have this peaceful existence and saying, it's like, you know, it's basically like Vietnam every time an animal <laughs> leaves its nest or hidey hole. There's this thing called the food chain. <laughs> Depending on where you fall on that, your life is really rough, no matter how cute you may be. All right, so you want to talk about the story here? Sure. So Watership Down, like I said, it's sort of a hero's journey. It's about a a group of rabbits. The leader is Hazel, and uh, his brother, Fiverr, uh, has sort of visions. Mm Mm-hmm. And he has a particularly apocalyptic vision about what's going to happen to the Warren that right. they are currently. Right. In the beginning, living. Hazel's not a leader. Or no. He's just another rabbit living in the Warren. Just like whatever. And his little brother has this vision right. of doom coming, which is another just nightmare-inducing right. scene. The field just The field just starts covered with blood. Yeah. These really ominous silhouettes of trees and branches sort of twisting and mm-hmm. very sort of ominous and, and, and menacing. 
and this so this is all Fiverr's vision, and he's like, we have to leave this Warren because it's not safe to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. And initially, Hazel's like, dude, you know, relax, chill out. But Fiverr has seen things before that have turned out and to has be true. been right. So it's like, okay, we'll pack your shit. And so they get a band of bunnies that agrees to join them, and they go on this sort of journey to find a safe home because Fiverr is apparently MLK and has seen the mountaintop, <laughs> and so. He has seen the promised land and they're going to follow him to this new place where they will be safe from all their, you know, thousands of enemies. Mm-hmm. And sort of that's, we follow them on that journey. And along the way, we run into some terrible, terrible things. <laughs> this was all, again, real places. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably just a few miles apart, really, this entire journey, which is a long ways for a rabbit to go. Mm-hmm. But the film crew, the animators, spent a lot of time just filming that part of southern England. Mm-hmm. And so all the shots are based on real shots and real places and real hills. The farm is a real place. Mm. Like everything in there is is very authentic. And then I think they did a fantastic job of, of rendering that. Yeah. It's this sort of pastoral watercolor. Mm-hmm. It's very painterly. Mm-hmm. The animation's really interesting. A lot of the background is that sort of painterly brushstroke sort mm-hmm. of style of animation. It's really, really beautiful. Sort of abstract, like not not trying to be hyper-realistic or anything like right. that. And sometimes in those emotional scenes, going very abstract. Going very abstract. And this, I mean, they, the film plays with a, a number of different animation styles. I mean, the, the opening prologue where we get yeah. the, the sort of fable of, you know, how rabbits came to be mm-hmm. and how how they came to, you know, be fast and be clever and be quick is done in this sort of primitive... Aboriginal like, style right. Which, again, if you're sitting down with your child watching it, that looks very safe and normal and fun. It does, except even in that, <laughs> there's a scene where Frith bestows a hunger for rabbits mm-hmm. on all of these other animals. And there's a scene of just bunnies. And again, it's that very primitive, almost cave painting style of all these bunnies sitting in a field. And then like a dog or something comes in and kills them all. And they <laughs> and all turn red, red and fall over. <laughs> so even there, it's a pretty good warning of what this is going to be like. Which reminded me of that Oscar short from a yes, few years ago. The, that's the, what the, scarf, I was gonna the say, red not, scarf. The, the, the missing scarf. The missing scarf. Where it's yeah. like, again, that same style of like, this is happy and fun. And then it's like, <laughs> destruction and terror and death. Um, so just... um, but so, yeah, I love that. And then you transition. And the first sort of scene into the sort of present day of the, the story is this sort of gorgeous shot. And it's a close up of a rabbit's yes. eye. And the eye itself is very sort of photorealistic. It's a very yeah, real, almost very as if it was a science sort of diagram. Right. But even the, the fur and then when they sort of pan out and you, you see the sort of woodland environment, then it's also, this very, again, that sort of painterly style. So there's a lot of different mm-hmm. animation styles happening. Right. And then it sort of, it sort of pulls back and that very almost photorealistic rabbit sort of becomes, that's Hazel. Right. It sort of becomes this slightly more abstracted cartoonish rabbit. Yeah. Rabbit. Yeah. I mean, that is one of those things that you can only do in animation. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work in any other medium. Yeah. And I think it's just brilliant. Yeah. I thought it was really beautiful. So on the journey, I think one of the first places they come upon, you know, so they're they're on this very long journey to find a new Warren, and they come upon this other rabbit named Cowslip. Yes. This sort of older, oity British yeah. rabbit um, <laughs> who's like, you know. That's um, Denholm Elliott provides the voice. You know him as uh, 
coal men in trading places. Oh, God. That's cool. <laughs> he has the perfect pretentious voice yeah. of like, I could take you or leave you as a person. Uh, he's just... I don't really care whether you live or die. Yeah. But he's like, you know, we have plenty of room in our warren. Feel free to come in and have food and make yourselves comfortable and warm and... You know, again, you get this sort of Homer on the Odyssey moment of like the siren song, and yeah. you're 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 going into some shit that is too good to be yeah. true. These rabbits have a suspicious amount of space, yes. and a suspicious amount of food, and they are very inviting. And um, they're like, oh, the man just puts this food out. Right. We so just, just we have enjoy food. the food, and of course, Fiverr being Fiverr is like, yeah, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> I think we should go. And he says this line that I'm just like, damn, that's fucking deep for a kid. He fe- is. He says of the the Warren. He says it feels like mist, like being deceived. Yes. It's like, damn, that's some deep <laughs> shit for some kids, man. Like you just walked into a space. It's like it feels like being deceived. He also said at one point he's he's like, I, I'm I'm out of yeah. I'm out of here. Like yeah. this is not a good place. I'm leaving by myself. And Hazel says something like, you know, you'll be killed if you try to go alone. And Fiverr says you're closer to death than I yeah. am. Yeah. Like he Fiverr was on some shit. And yeah. again, so I was very like this. They're dealing with some heavy, heavy. stuff. And you also, you always like the characters in these movies that nobody listens to. to. Right. Like, if somebody's like, this doesn't feel right, you know, pack your shit. That's cool. Like, let's just, I understand everybody's tired, but maybe we should just go. But so they're. And and at one point in the movie, and I think it might be in that scene, Fiverr says to Hazel, he's like, they all think I'm crazy. You know I'm not crazy. And you're still not listening to me. Like, what the fuck, dude? Because that's how... How many times do I have to be right? Intoxicating comfort is. People would rather be comfortable than have to, like, get up and move somewhere. Which is what that really, whole scene that whole is about. Like, they're just like, it's a warm, it's warm, it had been raining, and they were stuck in the rain, and yep. there's food here, and let's just stay, and it's fine. Not at all paying attention to the millions of red flags going off in this situation. So they're all there, and then their friend, Bigwig, one of the other rabbits that had jo- joined them on the journey, gets caught in a snare. Yeah. And so what we come to realize is basically the humans have been feeding these rabbits in this warren just to have rabbits on the grounds that they can then catch later right, for food. That's why there's not many rabbits there. Yeah, because they've been <laughs> picking the them up. The rabbits have all that space. <laughs> because that is the damn trapping ground. And I think the book makes a little more clear why the other rabbits invited them to in because it just increases the odds. Right. It's, it's not like, going to be me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so... And so that's sort of, that's probably the first really graphic scene when Bigwig is caught in that snare and you see blood coming from his nose and blood coming from his mouth and he's like choking, you hear him sort of choking on his own blood and struggling to breathe and and you just want to be like, kill it, kill it! Like just put it out of its misery. (laughs) Because it's so uncomfortable and painful that to watch. That scene is so painful. An animal struggle like that. <laughs> we watched on the on the Filmstruck website. There's there's a few extra videos there, and we watched one of Guillermo del Toro mm-hmm. talking about this movie, and he talked about that scene specifically, and just how slow it is, yes. and how patient it is, yes. and nobody's overselling it. That it's just we spend a lot of time very watching that rabbit fact, die. That yes. rabbit is just slowly dying yeah. while we watch. Yeah. Yeah, it's an it's an incredible scene. And the sort of I don't want to call it rudimentary, but sort of the basic nature of the animation technology somehow makes it worse mm-hmm. because the way the sort of blood is drawn coming from his nose and his mouth somehow it's it's more affecting than I think if it had been done in like CGI or had been done mm-hmm. very precisely. Like it looks messy. Yeah, it looks. 
undignified. Undignified. Like it's just, it just adds this layer of the ugliness of death. Like death is very ugly. Like in a lot of films, you know, people bleed very beautifully. And it's like, well, that's not really how that happened. Like it's quite ugly. And it's, you know, so that was surprising. I was not expecting that at all. And I can't imagine being in a theater full of children (laughs) for like five minutes. He's on the screen just dying and gurgling blood. And it's just And then apparently dies. And then dies. What we think. they, They get the peg out of the ground and they're like, Bigwig, we got the peg out. You're fine now. And, P- and, and the screen just goes black. He's gone. <laughs> we see we see from Bigwig's eyes the silhouettes of the rabbit standing over him. And it's just fading. And it just goes black. Yeah. But he's alive. Yay. And they say a little prayer over him. Right, them, they do. You know. There's a little mourning moment. My friend has stopped running today, they say. And yes. But Bigwig is alive. Thankfully, he sort of coughs back <laughs> into being. And it's just like, oh, my God. That was, that was a rough one. And then the other rabbits still don't get it. No. They're like, let's go kill those other rabbits and take their warren and stay here. And he's like, no, no. It's like, no, no, you're not getting it. The whole place is snared. This is a death trap. We need to keep moving. This is a meat farm, basically, (laughs) that you want to live on. So they keep going. And they run into another rabbit from their old warren who had stayed behind. Yes, Captain Hawley, the one survivor of the old Warren. So, you know, traumatic scene. For what is, to me, the most nightmarish it sequence in this movie. It is fucking horrifying. So he's all scratched and beat up, you know, across his journey. He's been trying to catch up with the group. And he basically says, you know, Fiverr was right. The Warren has been destroyed. Man came in. He filled in all the burrows and dug up all of the, all of the land. And then we get this trippy-ass scene. Just... This expressionistic nightmare. It's like abstract of modernism. That... Very cool though. But so he's he's explaining sort of what has what happened to the rabbits in the old Warren. He says, you know, man filled in the burrows. And you get this I don't even know how to explain this visual, but it's like you, you see sort of the heads of rabbits in tunnels slowly sort of narrowing and it's Piling up. Piling up. And it's like this weird neon gas is gassing them and sort of they're swirling around in it. And then you it comes close up on one of the rabbit's eyes and the eye is all bloodshot and closes in death. And, just and it's just terror. It is fucking horrifying. <laughs> but so beautifully done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, yeah, I just, I recommend that people go watch that. Like, if you haven't seen the film, watch the film. But that scene in particular, the animation of it is is sort of quite amazing. And again, like, watching that, it made me wonder why there aren't more animated horror movies. Mm. Because there is stuff like that that you can do. The elasticity of of the medium, yeah. And tone, Mm -hmm. visual mood and tone. Stuff like that that you can only do in animation. Mm -hmm. I mean, just stylistically, that... That scene is so powerful. Yeah, yeah. So after that horror, uh, <laughs> uh, we move on to the farm where the rabbits come up on the come upon a farm and they realize that there are there are some hutch rabbits there. Some hutch rabbits there being kept in cages. Some does. Some does, and so they you know want to set them free and have them join their group to this new promised land but the humans that own the farm and sort of interrupt the plans and there's a dog and a cat chasing them and everything so they just sort of run away the cat is creepy the cat is creepy as shit she is probably the meanest animated cat after the two siamese cats <laughs> in lady and the tramp those two yes, cats are yeah. fucking bitches um but it's just so can you run yes i think not they escape the farm they get to what is 
It's Watership Down. Watership Down. Though it's never called that right. in this movie, but that's what it is. This big, beautiful hill, treeless hill overlooking the entire valley. Or And it's wonderful, and everyone's happy, and they can burrow there. But then they realize, we're just a bunch of fucking dude rabbits <laughs> on this, this is, hill. This is not a long-term plan. So we're going to just die out if we don't get some ladies over here. <laughs> so then they remember, well, there was those ladies back at the farm, so mm-hmm. we can just do, you know, go back to the farm and invite them to the party for some mating. So then they sort of strategize around how to do that. On the hill, they meet who's possibly my favorite character. <laughs> a seagull named Kihar. Played by Zero Mostel. Russian, I guess? He certainly sounds Russian, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Specifically, he sounds like a drunk Russian. <laughs> he does sound like a very drunk Russian. Very sort of broken English and all kinds of, and loud. Um, Kihar is the loud friend who, when you're trying to plan something in secret, is repeating the plan back to you loudly. And you're like, Kihar, can you, you just, you're, you're, you got your outside voice on. I need you to put your inside voice on. But Kihar does not have an inside voice. But the plan is to enlist Kihar to, you know, find the other rabbits, help lead them to the, to the. Right. Find some does find some somewhere. Does and then help them get back. Do you want to talk at all about the, uh, about gender in this movie? It's one of the few things that this movie does pull some criticism on. That the female rabbits are only there for the mating? Yes, and mm-hmm. that they have no real... No real part in part the in it. adventure at all. Yeah, I mean, that is very true. They're also rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't bother you that much? I don't know. I mean, maybe it should. This is something else they have said about the new the new adaptation, that it's going to have more prominent roles for, for, lady rabbits. for the female characters. Where they get to be heroic, too. <laughs> But yeah, they are just breeding stock. In they here. really are, and it's like we're gonna die out if we don't yeah. get some female rabbits. I think here. there's only two characters that have names. I think uh, Clover is one of the Hutch rabbits mm-hmm. that has a couple lines of dialogue. Yeah, and then Heisenthalay. Heisenthalay. That's hard to say. It is. But yes, she's one of the rabbits in Ephrafa. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, how much do we expect? A cartoon to sort of address that address that sort of inequity, um, and yet remain true to what the animals are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. The book is actually interesting on that because it does sort of deal realistically. I think based on you know actual rabbits, how mm-hmm. actual rabbit society operates, about the gender roles, mm-hmm. and so when they get to when they actually get to Watership Down. They need to dig tunnels. Mm-hmm. And none of them have ever done that because that's something female rabbits do. Ah. Female rabbits dig the tunnels and, you know, build the warren when they're... For their babies. For their babies. Right. right. And it's not so much even that they don't know how, but it, that's woman's work. Hmm. And none of them have ever done it. So that's kind of interesting. But the movie doesn't really deal with any no. of that. Which could have... That could have added sort of a layer of complexity to it mm-hmm. if that had been included because yeah this is just sort of treated as you know it's not it's like sort of just a mention of well we have to have female bunnies or we're not going to be able to survive as a colony anyway sorry you were talking no. about kihar no i just i love kihar um <laughs> partially because as you know i'm also sort of a loud talker like i'm quiet normally yeah i wasn't gonna say that but <laughs> but when you're trying to tell me a secret or if i'm trying to whisper then i am loud as shit yeah <laughs> I, if we are in public, I can't hear you talk. 
unless you're trying to talk to me about a person standing right behind you <laughs> I'm trying and to you're be trying to be secretive and something about that you get loud you're like this guy's an asshole <laughs> and i'm like that guy can hear you you just raised your voice to tell me that I think maybe I just don't, I sort of want them to hear. I think that's maybe what it is, because I can't do it. I And I, I cannot lower my voice to a whisper if I'm trying to be secretive about something. This is, you would be a bad spy. I would be a terrible spy, because I would say the quiet parts out loud. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so Key, I'm a fan of Kihar, because I know that struggle. Um, but so in the journey to go find Doze... Hazel and, um, what's his name? Right. So Kihar has discovered this warren called Ephrafa. Mm-hmm. It turns out to be Captain Hawley had been there on his way to find them, too. He'd right. been sort of captured into, in Ephrafa. And Ephrafa is not a happy place. No, it is not. It is run by a roomy-eyed fascist. <laughs> <laughs> the general. The general. General Woundwart. Yes. Who, you know, leads the colony with an iron fist. So uh, Bigwig sort of embeds himself there. Yes. The plan is Bigwig is going to infiltrate this yeah. place, pretend to be part of their Ausla, yeah. which is kind of the... The book says every Warren has an Ausla, but what the Ausla is mm-hmm. changes from Warren to Warren. Mm-hmm. So in some Warrens, it's kind of like a ruling class, like a almost like the upper class, like the intellectuals, mm-hmm. the leaders. In others, and Ephrafa is one of those places, it's like they're the SS. They're the secret police. <laughs> they're very militarized and very frightening. Right. So Bigwig infiltrates the Ausla in an effort to take some of the does from that warren and bring them back to Watership Down and almost gets away with it. Woundwort and some of his soldiers follow Bigwig and the rabbits back to Watership Down and that's where the sort of big showdown is. Right. Woundwort and Bigwig have this just brutal fight in one of the burrows right and again it is bloody and that primal and (laughs) that fight is one of the roughest fights it's in cinema history forget you know animated live action anything that is so brutal that's what i remembered from watching this as a kid Mm. I mean, I I rewatched the movie recently before we did the podcast, but I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. And that's what I remembered is just those rabbits wrestling and their back legs, their back paws, Mm -hmm. just clawing at each other's Slicing into each other, yeah. Just slicing into each other. And biting each other at the neck and really just, you know, biting each other's ears. Trying to blind you. Woundwort says, I'll blind you. It's so... Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, It's just... (laughs) And they, you know, they take a moment and they take a step back and, you know, are doing, you know, the shit talking that people do when they're fighting. And you can see what is supposed to be like the skin around their mouths is sort of hanging loose at this. Like they've scratched their faces so much and it's just pink (laughs) and bloody and gory. And again, because the animation is so simplistic, Mm -hmm. there's something about it that's just so much uglier than if it were rendered in a sort of more quote-unquote sophisticated animation style. So they're fighting in the burrow. At the same time, Hazel or one of the other bunnies has led the dog. Right. They've gone back to the farm. Right. They've set the dog free. This is Hazel's plan. Right. They're going to bring the dog to deal with Wound War. Right. 
so the dog is now on Watership Down, and the dog chases off all of Woundwort's soldiers and just eats and rips into <laughs> rabbit after rabbit. It's rat. Like, so brutal. It's just so br- Like, I don't even know that dogs do just that. Bite- yeah, like, no, they do. But, like, once they have one, they keep going. Because uh, he just, he picked up one, probably. bit the shit out of it, kept threw going. It. Yeah. And just, <laughs> just Basically like... bit it in half, threw it, and then went, went after the others. So he goes through like five rabbits or something. And Woundwort comes out of the burrow, sees the dog, and there's this awesome shot, <laughs> like slow-mo action shot of Woundwort jumping up into the air to attack the dog. And the dog has jumped up to attack Woundwort, and we don't see what happens in that fight. Um, and The narrator takes right, over that The narrator does, says, you know, they never found Woundwort's body, so yeah. Woundwort could still be alive somewhere. But it's just an awesome action shot of, like, animal against animal, and this big-ass dog, and this fucking beat up old roomy ass rabbit it's fucking perfect and so that sort of you know watership down has been reclaimed it's safe they have you know they got some women they got some ladies and you know all is right with the world and then the sadness does not stop (laughs) because we flash forward. Life a little, is terrible. A few years. I don't know how we, far. We flash along a few years. So we I don't see, know what the lifespan of a rabbit is. I don't either. Um, you know, there's some bunnies playing in the background, little baby bunnies playing in the background. And we see Hazel and he's a little bit of, you know, great around the temples and around the eyes. So he's obviously aged and he's becoming an old rabbit. And he sees a vision of, you know, the black rabbit, which is basically the black rabbit of inlay. their angel of death, essentially. And the black rabbit comes to him and says, you know, I know you've been tired. You've been feeling tired lately. And maybe you should just come and join me and join be happy. My join my Ausla and be happy and we can be together. And fucking <laughs> possibly the saddest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Hazel lays down in the grass and you see his, you know, his stomach rise He's and fall. breathing. Rise and fall. And then it doesn't anymore. Yeah. And he fucking just <laughs> dies. And then you see his little spirit rabbit come out of his body and hop off with the black <laughs> rabbit of death. And again, that's done in that sort of abstract yeah. animation style. And it's beautiful, but it is just <laughs> Jesus. Like, there's no end to the sadness and the tragedy. And it's very, you know, circle of life, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But... No, it's just <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, so that is Watership Down. Okay, we, we skipped over a few good sequences. Okay. One of which is, and it's, because the movie meanders a little bit. It goes back and forth. We go back and forth to the farm a few times. Mm-hmm. We go back and forth to Ephrafa a couple of times. But there's that scene where one of the trips to the farm to try to get the hutch rabbits out, Hazel is shot. Oh, yeah. And the the other rabbits on that mission return to the war and, and basically tell Fiverr Hazel's, Hazel's dead. dead. Yeah. And Fiverr says, no, he's not. Because yeah. Fiverr knows. Fiverr knows. <laughs> Don't doubt Fiverr. And Fiverr goes off on this little vision quest, chasing... The Black Rabbit of Death. The Black Rabbit of Death. And another one of those just fantastic sequences that just keeps changing styles, going into realism and abstraction, set to Art Garfunkel's Bright Eyes. Yeah. Um, But that's just, that's a lovely, lovely sequence. It is really well done. 
Yeah, I really, I was really sort of impressed with that sequence and a, a, a couple of the other ones that I mentioned. And again, this sort of goes back to what we said about sort of potential of animation to tell a story in a mm-hmm. way that um, live action can't really do. And I, that I don't think that we've seen in the sort of new CGI era that we've been in. But this sort of shifting the style of the animation to evoke a mood and to sort of say something about the characters and what they're experiencing at that time. So going into these sort of very abstract dreamlike sequences and then bouncing back to something that's sort of very sort of photorealistic and it's something that's, you know, very painterly and brushstrokey. Mm-hmm. And so I, that was one of the things I liked the most about it. There's a, there's another moment with that photorealism thing, and it's just a split second. It's um after they've escaped from Ephrafa and Woundwart is chasing them, mm-hmm. and Woundwart and Bigwig square off under the bridge, mm-hmm. and it's really dark. Mm-hmm. There's a flash of lightning, and in that flash of lightning, we see those two rabbits in that more photorealistic yeah. style. We see all the detail of their hair just in that yeah. flash of lightning. And then when the lightning is over, it goes back to the regular mm-hmm. animated style. It's it's a fantastic scene. Yeah. All right. What else? What haven't we talked about? A lot of people have tried to read various political allegories mm-hmm. into this. I don't think they're really there. And Richard Adams said they weren't. He said it's about bunnies. <laughs> it really is just about bunnies. This was not Animal Farm. Right, right. Um, but I think that's what's great about it is that it's not, I mean, you can read that stuff. You can read Wound Ward as Iron Curtain communism, Mm -hmm. or you can read him as Nazis or whatever. And I think it works, but I don't think it's... You don't need to. I mean, yeah, I think it, it can be more broad in that, you know, it's dealing with issues of just sort of ideas around community and the individual. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be some sort of treatise on any particular regime. I think it's saying something about sort of ecological concerns, Mm -hmm. the whole, you know, man is building over all of the land and, you know, animals are, you know, losing more and more territory, Um, but not even in a particularly judgmental way. Like, I don't think it's presented as, you know, man is evil. I think it's just man is man and is selfish and ignorant and isn't thinking about you know the sort of habitats that he's ruining um they say that in the movie one of them says well man has always hated us mm -hmm. and the other one says no they didn't they barely knew we were there they just didn't care right just so where does uh where does general woundwort fit on your list of villains you don't got the cheekbones Not a slim guy. No. Well, still, I mean, Ursula well wasn't fed. slim, but she was fierce as shit. Um, the Wound War <laughs> guy, he's quintessential, just broken man. <laughs> he is scary as shit, He is though. very scary. And not witty. Like, I like Scar because Scar is witty and quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wound War is just brutal. Yeah, no, he's just raw brutality. Yeah, yeah. so, no, I'm not, not a fan. <laughs> not a fan of that. Okay, we didn't talk about Hazel much. Hazel's the main character. Hazel's cool. You know, once he gets on board with Fiverr's vision, <laughs> he's a very effective leader. Mm-hmm. He keeps the group going. He takes some dumb risks sometimes. Yeah, maybe. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's he's the dude you follow, the charismatic leader. It's, it's a nice moment, I think, towards the end of the movie. Because uh, they've never officially made Hazel chief. Hazel's just kind of been yeah. the one that was leading yeah. them. Well, because they weren't going to follow Fiverr. And Woundward has assumed that Bigwig is the chief. Mm-hmm. Because Bigwig is the biggest and the best fighter. And there's a nice moment in the tunnel right before that fight where Bigwig says, my chief has ordered me to defend Mm -hmm. this run. Mm -hmm. And 
one word says you're a chief, like you have yeah. a chief. No, Bigwig is the muscle. Yeah. And Hazel is the one that is, you know, making the plans and trying to make sure that everyone is safe mm-hmm. and sort of keeps the morale going as they start to, you know, lose people and encounter some difficult times. And he's the first one to say, there are no women here. Yeah. That's going to be a problem. So, yeah, Hazel's cool. And his, and his plans all draw on trickery. That's the yes. rabbit thing. That's yes. the Alahara. Right. That goes back to the, right, the allegory when they sort of tell the story of how the rabbit became a rabbit. You know, initially the rabbit had sort of overpopulated the world <laughs> mm-hmm. and was, you know, using all of the resources. And so in a way to sort of control that, the sun god said, okay, well, I'm going to make you a thousand enemies, but I'm going to give you speed and cunning yeah. so that you can survive. So... That was all on display in Hazel and in a number of the other rabbits as well. And that's the one thing I think the, I mean, the the movie is actually pretty faithful to the book, although the book is obviously, it's a big book and it's more detailed mm-hmm. than everything. I think the, that prologue in the movie mm-hmm. is great, but that's throughout the book, we hear more stories of Alahara, mm-hmm. this sort of, it's both the the folk legends and almost the religion of yeah. this world. We yeah. learn a lot more about it in the book. Um, the movie just sort of put that prologue in and dealt with it that way. Yeah, I mean, we have the recurring mentions of the Black Rabbit of Death, who mm-hmm. comes from that that mythology. But then there's a, a actually a really beautiful moment when I think they are the sort of second time they're going back to the farm to to free the does. Oh, that's right. Hazel says a prayer in his head, saying, you know, basically, I'm willing to give my life for the life of my friends yeah. if we can just sort of make it. I, you know, I've I know I've asked a lot of you through this journey, and you've done a lot for us, and I have no right to ask more. But I'm willing to sacrifice myself for the safety and, you know, of my friends. And Frith says that's not how it right, works. Right. Right. You, you don't decide. Right. Whatever is not meant to be. Not a day goes by where right. someone doesn't offer me a deal like yeah. that. And whatever's know. going to be will be. And that's right. just, you, we have, you know, you have to accept that. So. All right. Well, uh, what's the right age to watch Watership Down? <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. For those parents worried that your child is going to want a pet bunny, <laughs> show them this. And then they're like, oh, fuck that. Yeah, no. Don't no thanks. one of those things in that. No house. thanks. Yeah, I mean, I actually, you know, that nature is brutal and mm-hmm. ugly and it is not all pretty in harmony. So, again, but I, I have no, I'm probably not the right person to ask because I didn't have any sort of filters when I was a child. Yeah, so. no, I didn't either. My parents let me watch yeah. pretty much anything I wanted to I turned to watch. out fine. So. <laughs> That's why we turned out screwed up. You know, what's a few nightmares? Shit happens. <laughs> character building. Exactly. You have a good story to tell. You can then tweet later, oh my god, Watership Down <laughs> fucked me up. <laughs> you get, a, you know, 140 characters worth of life there. It's good. It works. That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week as we resurrect a sacred annual tradition here at the Unenthusiastic Critic. (laughs) Akia, back when we did this series on the blog, we did a little something every October that we called the Unenthusiastic Critic's Annual Halloween Movie Marathon. Do you recall? I vaguely recall. (laughs) 
So, every Tuesday in October, and good news, there are five of them, we'll be sitting down for Nakia's first viewing of a horror movie. This year, I think we're looking at a good mix of highbrow hauntings and lowbrow gore, and we're getting underway next week with yet another movie that has a remake coming down the pike, Italian director Dario Argento's 1977 horror classic Suspiria. Is this some sort of weird psychosexual thing? I don't really know anything about Suspiria. Mm-hmm. That's about right. That's, that's about right, okay. sure. <laughs> if you're watching along with us, Suspiria can be a little difficult to find, but it is currently available to stream on Tubi, which is TubiTV.com, that's Tubi with an I, where you can watch it for free as long as you're willing to watch a couple of ads. Until then, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, follow us on Twitter at FreeRangeCritic, leave us a review on iTunes, or send an email to michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. As always, we encourage you to suggest movies for us to watch, and in fact, I'm still finalizing the films for Nakia's Horror Movie Marathon, so if you have a favorite must-see scary movie, feel free to send us a recommendation. No, thank you. You're not very excited about this, are you? Next to musicals, horror films is the most hated genre. Yeah, I'm not a fan. This is going to be the best month of my life. Mm -hmm. Until next time, remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch. R.I.P. Hazel. (laughs) Pour one out for Hazel. I mean, Lady and the Tramp was interesting because, again, it's funny to sort of look at some of these after you've gotten older and, like, life has broken you. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, so you have this, like, posh dog who lives in a nice neighborhood and a wonderful home with a beautiful family, and then she meets this, like, raggedy-ass street dog. And... (laughs) totally risks her nice-ass life to be with his dog, and it's just like, hmm, that's... Not, Maybe not a good... Not the best choice. Good like, decision. Just stay in your nice home. Wasn't that kind of the story of Greece? Apparently I'm a class warrior. <laughs> stay in your lanes. Stay in your lane. <laughs> Don't cross the tracks. Don't cross the tracks. I'm anti-love. Little Mermaid, keep keep your fucking fins. Like, why? You don't need legs and then lose your voice to be yeah, with that's, some Yeah, that dude? story is is a problem. These, You're going to give up your voice right. to be with this man? Or no. stay in the amazing deep sea world <laughs> that you live in with your friends. <laughs> that's why I like uh, the movie Splash, because that they turned the Little Mermaid story around, where at the end of it, he goes into the sea with her. Spoiler alert. You've never seen Splash? I've never seen Splash. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> This is what I'm dealing with. There are gaps that I don't even know about. <laughs>